Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, this is Jeannie Shimatsu. I'm with ADAP, and thank you for joining our hybrid recording of Hot Topic Tuesday and Prevention 365 podcast, where every day, prevention is every day and every way. Today, our discussion focus is parenting the alpha generation. And who is the alpha generation? Those are children, babies born in the years of 2010 through 2025. They follow the Z generation. So our featured guests today are parents of alpha babies, alpha children, and they also share the background as professionals in the field of public health. So we have June, Corey, Lorena, and Marlon. I'm gonna have you introduce yourselves and we're gonna start off with June. Hi, um, thank you for having me on this podcast um, with all these great other parents. <laughs> um, I am a social worker and a community-based researcher and the parent of two uh, nine-year-old twins, boy-girl twins. So happy to be here. I'll pass yeah. it to Corey. Hi, thank you, Corey Matthews. I'm with Community Coalition and I'm very thrilled to be here to have this important conversation about the alpha generation. Um, and I have two young boys. I have a three-year-old and an 18-month-old. So I am running on sufficient caffeine uh, to get through this session. And I'm gonna go ahead and pass it to Marlon. Hi, hi everyone, Marlon Pascual. Uh, I'm with ADAP, community organizer. So I have, uh, my son is a year and nine months old. So he is running around the house uh, all the time. And I'm excited to have this conversation as well with other parents from uh, the same generation as my son. So uh, I'll pass it to Lorena. Hi everyone, thank you so much. I'm Lorena Velasquez. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast uh, to have this important uh, conversation. I. Um, I'm also in prevention work. I work with Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and I have two uh, little ones. One is six years old and my 21-month-old, um, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you. That's great. It's interesting as we have a range of ages with babies to children, all representing the same generation. Uh, what's interesting about your kids is your, your children are the first in the century to be born in, a in the decade where there is a pandemic. And so with these pandemic conditions, maybe some of you can share, because some of you had your babies during the pandemic, others, your children experienced the other effects of the COVID condition. And maybe we can kind of touch on that. Whoever would love to jump in. So I remember uh, specifically that the pandemic was sort of being talked about in February, not as a pandemic. And it wasn't until something happened with the NBA where they had begun to cancel games. And that's when like the whole world was like, wait a minute, we're canceling games. Something really serious is cooking. And so um, our youngest was born April 15th, which was probably like as soon as, you know, we made the decision as a country and as a globe to start shutting down everything. And I remember just how hospitals were responding. They were very, very, very cagey and it was scrubs and masks everywhere and temperature checks and 
you can't leave you can go in and out and so we we already had a toddler and we had a newborn on the way and so i just remember the fear of just trying to navigate that um i think that what most um sticks out to me about that experience was how there was beginning to be a a global conversation on health just in general who would be impacted who was most acceptable you know the whole underlying conditions and this was at a time where we didn't know a lot about covid but we did know that there were certain people who were more susceptible to being you know it being transmitted as well as you know unfortunately dying from it um and so that sort of started a conversation that i think we're still in today most definitely one of the things i found really fascinating is the conversation of these young kids age four five and six on zoom classes and i remember the first time i heard that i thought are they actually paying attention how does that work so june your kids are, are about eight years old correct so how did they how did they transition to virtual education let's see they were so they were gosh were they had just turned eight when when the school shut down and they had to uh transition to zoom and i remember for that since it was like around march that the school shut down you know the teachers weren't equipped or ready they didn't have the curriculum at that time to switch to teaching online um so even my, my kids were in different classes so the way that their their teachers handled the situation were very different so i, I actually started to put my kids in each other's classrooms too when they did zoom um, but in the beginning, I, I did feel like I had to have them right next to me while I was working at the dining table right across from me to make sure they were paying attention um, and focusing because it was just something that they weren't used to, you know, um, they didn't know how to navigate Zoom. But to me, it was really surprising how quickly they learned um, how to do that. Um, and the teachers too, right? They learned how to like turn off the, the chat function because that was becoming really disruptive. Um, and they started to set certain guidelines and rules um, as to like what behavioral expectations were. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just really tricky because, you know, everyone was transitioning to working at work, working from home too, um, while also having their little ones transition to schooling from home. Um, but I do think because of the age that they were at, at least they were able, they're able to read. Um, and I think a big part of that just being at an age where they could read definitely helped for me to be a little bit more hands off than than say parents of like kindergartners or ones that are even younger who are just learning those skills. Um, so you know, I I know Lorena has has little ones who are a little bit younger than mine. So I'd be curious to hear about what your experience was. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of things what you, of what you just said resonated with me so much. Um, the whole working from home, both parents working from home and then a child on Zoom, that was pretty insane. <laughs> um, thinking back, I'm like, how did we do that? Um, because it, it was pretty intense. We're trying to, you know, do schedules. And then I remember in like the first week or two of my son starting kindergarten and, and mind you, he had gone to like, he had been going to a, um, um, a daycare, um, before, uh, preschool. Um, so actually this, uh, he's in kindergarten. I'm sorry. He's in kindergarten. Now he was in preschool and during the, the, the pandemic zoom zoom life. Um, and so starting preschool, we thought he was kind of going to have a different experience going to actual school and, 
you know, I was so nervous about that experience. And then I remember early on when he started the Zoom classes, um, he wanted us to be in the room with him because he didn't know he was like kind of scared, like what was going to happen in this class and what were they going to do or were they going to say? Um, he adjusted really well, surprisingly, kind of like what you just said, June, about adjusting really well to like Zoom and like do this and do that. He kind of got excited after. But I remember the first early weeks, it was like, oh, I don't know what what's going on kind of thing. Um, kind of very confusing. And so we kind of had to like break it down to him. It's like, this is what's going on. We, you know, you, you, you have a class and you have your teacher. It's just, you can't go right now. And so um, he eventually started saying, you know, we're like, oh, we can't go certain places. Oh, why not? And then he would answer. He's like, coronavirus. <laughs> and it just kind of became a little, kind of a little joke, joke, but obviously not joke. I remember seeing all the, um, putting on uh, Sesame Street because Sesame Street had this whole bit um, with like health experts. I think maybe Dr. Fauci or some, some experts that were explaining the actual like what's going on here kind of thing. That's fascinating. Um, you know, socialization is, is a big issue with that. Um, one of the colleagues uh, had shared with me, he has a daughter that's two. And one of the concerns he had was, is this going to have a long-term effect on her? Um, because she's very trusting, very loving, wants to run to people. But, you know, we have to pull her back because we're uncertain. You know, there's a little bit of concern there. So there's different thoughts that parents have about how they're um, adjusting to this, are, are there any concerns that you have when it comes to socialization and influence? Kind of a left field question, but what do you No, think? It's a great question. I'll hop in here because I have a lot of strong thoughts around this. And I'll just start with, you know, when the baby was born, our three-year-old was 18 months old at the time. And um, we were so fearful of the baby getting sick. And then, you know, we'd have to basically leave him at the, they, they warned us he would have to be at the hospital and we would not be able to see him at all because of COVID and just all the restrictions. And so we basically went on a, the whole house is just shut down, contained. And I remember that uh, was very difficult for us because we had our 18 month old who's used to going to daycare and used to being with his friends and seeing his grandparents and, you know, his aunties and uncles and cousins, et cetera. And he basically was just at home with us and a newborn. And we were all just, you know, sleepwalking because, you know, a newborn wakes up every two hours. Um, and there were three moments. The first was, uh, I remember having to go back to work. My wife was still on maternity leave, but I, you know, I was back from paternity leave. And we were just outside in the backyard and we have a dog and my 18 month old was just playing by himself with the dog. And I was on Zoom calls and I just, I couldn't pay attention to him or my work at the, you know, nothing was getting the best of my attention. And just seeing that, that, that sense of loneliness was really hard for me. Very, very, very hard for me. Um, I didn't think it was fair. I didn't think it was right. Um, you know, our parents would drive by, my wife's parents, my parents, and would just kind of like hold the baby out the door and just kind of wave and see. But the fact that he couldn't get that bond with them was really hard for me too. 
Um, and then the third thing was uh, we did go ahead and start, you know, we eventually got more comfortable when the baby reached like six months old, he can go to daycare. And then we had to start thinking about preschool for the oldest. And um, to see them go to preschool, and sorry, this is all emotional, but this is parents, so you guys get it. No, please, um, please. With mask on, that just sucked. Just, you know, because there's so much you lose with the nonverbals, facial expressions, seeing people's whole faces, all of that. And um, just to see him, you know, his first day of preschool picture and he has on a mask. And I just remember saying, I hate this. I hate this pandemic. I hate that he's not going to even know what regular school is. He's not going to even know what his classmates looks like, what this teacher looks like. They're going to only know them from this up. And then the baby isn't going to know a world before. He, he only went to the store with us for the first time like two or three months ago. So those are like the three moments, you know, the backyard playing lonely, the baby not being able to bond, and then, um, you know, the preschool with the mask on thing. And it just was like, this sucks. So those are my feelings about it. Wow, my heart just ached right now when you shared that. Because we, it is something so, such a paradigm shift in how we grew up. Um, as to what their normative life is like. Um, Marlon, I don't know if you wanted to add anything and you don't have to, if you don't need to. Yeah, no, to. of course I, I do. Um, you know, similar to what, what Corey's saying, you know, at least for me, it was my only child, right? So first time dad, and you're trying to learn everything on the fly. I mean, my, my parents or my parent-in-laws try to share as much as possible, but you have to experience it. And then my experience at the time when my son was born was a month before the pandemic happened, back in February 2020. And I also was um, the guard, legal guardian for my niece and nephew, who were four months and a year and a half at the time. So I went from no babies to three babies, <laughs> and, and then a pandemic. So uh, out of necessity, you know, my mother-in-law would have to come over, and it's kind of like... Um, some a type of paranoia, right? What if because I can't control that she has to go to the market too, she has to do this and that, and she's coming here to take care of my niece, nephew, and my son while we work. Because as Corey said, like your attention divided, you, you can't really do a hundred percent each. So, and then at the same time, you know, my parents they met my son the day after the hospital, but because of the situation with my niece and nephew and then the pandemic. They didn't really get to see him until I think we were comfortable by Mother's Day to go see my parents. And then that was kind of the start. You know, my, my parents were always waiting to, like, you know, to have their grandchild. And we had to be really careful. And the center of our decisions wasn't, you know, was, our, was the kids, right? Their health. We're trying to protect their health, their well-being. Uh, that's the most important thing that factors in all our decisions. So I, I, I agree. Um, my son does have a different experience. He's the same grandma and my mother-in-law takes care of the, my, the same niece and nephew uh, who are no longer in my, my legal guardianship and my son. So he sees them all the time. So he's playing, he's running. When he's here at home, his nap time is at noon. 
when he's over there, he doesn't sleep until 3 p.m. because he's trying to play. So uh, at least he has that experience. Um, he's not older as um, Lorena or June's uh, children. So the Zoom calls, well, he knows how to work the phone for YouTube, but he's not, he's not, doesn't have to do classes on Zoom calls, right? Wow. That's so interesting that he has this bubble of safety. And I think we've had to create that, these bubbles. Um, you know, I think most of you mentioned you raise your hand if you work from home. Is that everybody? So almost everybody has had to work from home. And as um, public health uh, advocates, you've had the experience prior to that interacting with community, working with parents, working with youth. And there is an intersection as a professional when you're doing drug abuse prevention. And then personally, when that intersection meets as a parent. So I wanted to ask you and put this question out to you is, for you, how do you take that professional knowledge and understanding of what you see happening with other kids in the community and with the issue of influences of substance abuse? And then how do you bring that home as strategies for your children, your babies, even if it, you know, it's more indirect? So if I could get your thoughts on that, how do you plan to introduce drug abuse prevention to your children? For me, I think I've, um, I, I, so I facilitate because of the prevention work I do, I facilitate the Guiding Good Choices curriculum, which is a prevention curriculum for parents specifically. And so I've been doing that since I've been at Children's, like I said, um, I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but for eight years um, or so. Um, and so I've been doing that curriculum. So I, I did the curriculum before I was a parent um, and it's definitely changed um, as I became a parent. And so um, but even before or after kids, I think that my message to parents was always because um, I the, the question that gets brought up in that curriculum a lot is when should I talk to my kids about drugs and alcohol? Um, when should I have the talk with them? Um, and I honestly tell them like there is no time to, you know, there is no perfect time, at least in, in, in my opinion, to have that talk about drugs and alcohol because it's everywhere and it might be in our homes. In my case, personally, it is my home. Like I have bottles of wine or my husband will bring, you know, home some beer. Um, and um, I think for me that for me, that just starts in day one. You know, like this is, you know, I see I'm, I'm drinking some wine with my meal. Like this is um, wine <laughs> and this is only for adults and you can't have it because your brain hasn't developed yet. And so I, I kind of think I bring everything that I've that I've teach in the curriculum to parents, I bring it home to my parenting um, and infuse it in what I tell my children. Um, and then thus what I tell, you know, parents uh, as well. I love that sound. This is the reality of what you guys go through. The only difference is you could put it on mute for us. You have to live with it. <laughs> Anyways, um, how about the rest of you? Because I, I, I know you're experiencing it at different levels. And like Lorena said, you know, there is a reality. It's going to be in your home or a relative's home. Or there's other, you know, it's going to happen in a home that they may visit where you may not be there when they get older. So what are some of your thoughts? If I could throw it possibly to June. June, um, you have old uh, eight-year-olds. So what do you, how do you see this play out for you with uh, slightly older children? It's funny that my kids are the older children, but <laughs> um, 
I think for me, I've, I've generally approached it not like specifically from like a, a substance abuse prevention lens, um, much more from like a pro, pro-social lens, like behaviors and activities um, angle. Um, but I think this conversation is definitely giving me more food for thought as to what kind of conversation, like more explicit intentional conversations probably need to be had with my kids sooner than later, especially given that they're in their final two years of elementary school and transitioning to middle school soon. Um, But like really for me, it was like um, activities and relationships, making sure that they know who the adults in their lives are um, outside of like mom and dad, right? Like always like the grandparents, the grandparents have come up, aunts and uncles, um, other adults, like be it like the, the, not blood related aunties and uncles that we have in their lives, as well as their friends and really nurturing those key trusting relationships. Um, And then also just having um, sources of activities for them to be engaged in, um, where they could, you know, have some of those activities that build their confidence, but also serve as like the, the connectors for social networks as they get get older. So really the nurturing of the relationships and having them engaged in activities. Um, I think for them, the biggest thing for them that was missing last year um, was a lot of that, right? A big part of it was the grandparents. um, And a lot of that, in hearing these conversations, I was thinking a lot about how my, my parents used to pick them up from school. And after everything happened and us more more coming from an angle where my keeping my parents safe right because the it was the the older population that was coming like dying and at most risk and we, we weren't understanding what was happening at that time and my my partner was still going out to work every day so I think it was like no you can't see your grandparents and th- this is why and no mom and dad you can't come over and this is why um so when we started to feel safe, which was started probably around Mother's Day too, um, I think that connection for both the kids and my parents was really important. Um, and just building that small social network at that time so that they felt like some sanity and some space away from being with us all the time too. Um, and I think as things have begun to open up as they're back in school and engaging in some more of their activities, like that's what really comes to like the, the forefront of my mind in terms of like, how do we make sure that they're having that socialization with these really important people in their lives? Um, and, and same with like the activities that keep them happy and engaged and out while being, um, you know, keeping themselves safe. Um, and then I think the other part is just having that space also away from us where they can just be kids and not have like a parent breathing down their their necks as to like you know because we're juggling so much as this came up before um but I I felt like sometimes it became a little too much because all of us were just dealing with so much and like none of my attention was never fully on them it was more on like work and trying to figure out how to get things done versus um versus what their needs were because I felt like they were home and they were safe and keeping them home was safe and and I think what they missed out most was really on that socialization aspect. Um, and I think that's really what it was about before, but I think it's become even that much more important um, on nurturing that relationship so that they have a stronger sense of self. I, 
I feel like I took this like way off topic, but um, those are kind of like the thoughts that I was that were kind of swirling in my mind. Actually, it's it's on topic because sometimes when we think of drug abuse prevention, you know, it, it feels literal. I need to teach you about X, Y, Z, when the truth is it really is about their state of wellness. How, how healthy and safe are they? Are they able to make these decisions? Do they know? Can they, can they make these uh, active thoughts between what I should do, what I shouldn't do? Um, so it, it's much broader than you need to understand what the active ingredient in marijuana or alcohol is. You know, it's it's not it's 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 not like that. But actually, though, I do want to hear from you, uh, Marlon and Corey. What are your thoughts about introducing indirect drug prevention to maybe more direct? But how do you perceive it in relationship to your children, your babies? Yeah. Um... To me, a, a lot of it, I kind of look back um, maybe how I was raised or where I was raised. You know, um, you know, being from a Latino, Latinx background, um, I think there's a lot of parents that might be naive that, oh, my kid doesn't do it. Or the only thing they want to know about, you know, drug prevention or any information is how do you know if they're using, Right. But really sometimes is how do you have a conversation with them, right? So when the time comes, whether it's 6, 8, 10, 12, or whatever, you can speak to your children and have them understand, you know, the dangers or the consequences, right? If you were to misuse, abuse, when it's not your time, right? Like if someone, adults in the family want to have a drink, well, that's because they can, right? But you can't. So I think... Um, that's not really my culture, like to talk, you know? Uh, and I also think back on how I grew up, right? Um, hip hop, you know, I, I love hip hop, uh, Eminem, Purple Pills, The Chronic 2001, I'm middle school, you know, bumping these songs. And I might not know everything that is said, but this, that's what I listen to. So I can't be naive on what the culture is doing now, right? There's these young people. And we talked about a lot about uh, socialization. Social media, even before the pandemic, was huge with the, these young, uh, young people socialize, even more so during the pandemic. So why, you know, we encourage other parents to kind of not just participate in drug prevention, but kind of understand the importance is that you hear stories that, you know, kids are accessing drugs via Snapchat, right? And the parents don't even know what Snapchat is or, you know, how it's accessed and how that works, how you can check it and so forth and so forth. What is my kid going to do? Because we talked about, right, that our, our kids on Zoom, they pick it up real quick, right? Corey mentioned, I think before the podcast, the YouTube, these not even two-year-olds, they know how to navigate. So what are they going to use? So it's kind of using like where we're at now, you know, our experience in the drug prevention fields to kind of prepare us, right? So say, okay, there's different ways, not just how I grew up, right? That was one way of accessing marijuana or whatever, but how's it going to be in the future? So I look back at how I grew up, uh, my culture, consider like what would help. And I think a lot of these conversations and my son, again, is, is he's not speaking full words yet or full sentences. So to me is to let him know that come to me, I'll help you out, right? is uh, he's on YouTube and then it's the commercials. I, I hate those commercials on YouTube. 
because I didn't want parents to pay for the ad-free YouTube. That's terrible. But he comes to me, I have to put a skit video, and then he's fine, right? And I'll tell them, like, don't cry. Explain to me, explain to me. And kind of get into that, you know, explain to me, I'll listen. Because that develops that pattern, right? So when he's older, I need to have these conversations on these other topics. It's a lot easier. It's a lot more natural with me and my son, right? Uh, for example, like my family on either side, my in-laws and my family, uh, we, we don't drink. You know, it's not, a lot of families, that's not really the case. But my, 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 my kids or my kid and my future kids will see the difference, right? We go to an extended family party. Uh, they'll see it on TV. So again, I can't be naive. I have to explain to them and be ready to explain at a younger age because they're going to notice and they're going to ask their questions. So I think learning to have a conversation, you know, and uh, have them express their feelings, their questions and listen to them, you know, not sugarcoat things like, oh, that's just apple juice, <laughs> adults apple juice. But, you know, that's like that alters your uh, the way you behave. And then you kind of say it in a way that they can kind of digest it and understand it. Because I, again, I've been working for youth for a long time. And ever since I learned about brain development and the frontal lobe starts at 15 and ends at 25. And that part of the brain understands consequences. So when my youth were doing, I'm sorry, am I still here? So when that youth were, um, were doing something, I'm like, why are you doing that? And they would tell me, I don't know, Marlon. Well, after that, I was like, oh yeah, they really don't know. <laughs> so, but you have to talk to them right? You have to converse with them. So with my son, I'm developing that now, right? So uh, so that's how I see it. And I think just I'll add, I echo and underscore all those things. Um, there's two, there's two additional points that I, that I'd like to elevate. And that's the first is, you know, the pandemic has been hard for everybody, just mentally and emotionally, socially. I mean, people having to relearn social skills, how to be out. I know even for me trying to get out the house now, it's like a whole ordeal. It's like clothes and just all the stuff you have to do. You know, it takes me forever when I have to go into the office for meetings. I'm like, why is it taking me an hour to get out the house? Um, but I will say that, you know, one, the benef the blessing has been in having newborn um, and small kids who basically can't do anything for themselves, that serves its own protective factor because you are not allowed to go as deep inside of how you feel about a pandemic and the loneliness. You're just too tired and too on to, to even have that space. Um, so that's the first thing. But the other piece of it is that I'm thinking about the alpha generation in, in the sense that you have children who are proximate to parents navigating a very stressful, acutely stressful time and different coping mechanisms, proximity to probably increased substance use, which is what we're seeing now in the data, alcohol usage, um, you know, opioids, um, even just marijuana, smoking, that type of thing. And it's persistent. It's, it's, it's in the kids' faces. So that's the first thing. The, the exposure is not even like a oh, when everybody goes to sleep at nighttime, mommy and daddy indulge, whatever. It's It could be all day because people are trying to take care of themselves during this really hard time. So there has to be open conversation. I agree completely because they're seeing it, you know? Um, and the second thing that I'll say is that the kids themselves are navigating a really hard time. And so to the extent that we can prepare parents, um, which is something that we've done at COCO, um, and school leaders to have hard conversations, to train parents on how to identify 
when the stress is probably, you know, borderline depression or something more serious and you need to solicit mental health services and interventions that are professional directed, how to not understate or undermine when someone says that they're struggling with anxiety because middle school kids are saying terms like anxiety now and depression now and stress now. And I remember growing up, those are words you couldn't even say until you were like an adult. It was like, you don't even you know, know what that is. Um, and so being able to give literacy and language to the more social, emotional, mental side of things for our entire families is an area that I think just is necessary um, as an intervention. And the other thing is with us, you know, the kids already know, just even as a drink coffee or tea, this is an adult drink. This is an adult beverage. So they know that they're children and that we are adults and that there's just a difference in the separation. Um, but, you know, we have a toddler now and that's in that curious age of asking, well, what's that? What's that? What's that? And it's like, no, 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 you can't have that. You have to be very safe. And so similar to the mask, you have to be very safe. And so I think it's just going to it's going to come to a point to where these conversations have to happen early and often. And they're integrated with everything because of the fact that you cannot hide these things. You're just too proximate. People have never spent this much time with their families and children at home. You know, so that's just the reality of something that I think is unique to this generation. I love how you tied that in because um, right there are there have been uh, positives to the COVID pandemic in terms of bringing the family together. It hasn't been fully negative. But when we do look at the at the scope of what alpha generation is, you know, this is a generation born into advanced technology. They are the generation that is that is experiencing firsthand global connectedness. And other things that are going on are like social consciousness and blended diversity. You know, all of that is, is really layered. This is a really interesting generation. Uh, as they get older, I'm really curious to see where this is going to go. So um, when you think about this direction with your alpha child, what are you mindful what keeps you mindful about this generation of children and more specifically this generation, your child? One so, quick call. Yeah, One, go ahead, go ahead, Corey. Super quick. Um, and then I'm gonna step back because I do want to hear what other parents have to say. I remember growing up when, you know, and parents would say, I'm not your friend. Um, I think that's a paradigm shift now. Mm. We're not friends, but because we have shared such intimate space so regularly and there are no boundaries or no walls or whatever, because this pandemic has upended everything, so much stuff is going to be hybrid, so much has changed and we still are trying to see if, where the dust is going to settle, if it's even going to settle. Um, we have to create a new sense of relationship that may not include the same type of boundaries that parents and children traditionally had before. So. That's my thought. That is a great thought. That is a realistic thought. Hey, Lorena, I when you and I had a chance to talk, what I found very interesting, and there's many families 
that are like yours where there's it's blended diversity there's different ethnic um ethnic uh interactions with the family of one ethnicity and another my cousins you know there is no such thing as i am just uh japanese you know my cousins are japanese and black african-american my cousins are um African, uh, I'm sorry, Caucasian and Asian. So, and they represent, you know, a, a culture that doesn't define itself by one thing anymore. And is that something that you see happening in your household? Yes, I do. Um, so um, my, I'm half Mexican, half Salvadorian. Um, my husband is Chinese. Um, and so my my kids are we we joke you know we say they're Chexicadorians um, sometimes, um, but yeah, and there's blended family, blended intergeneration. So you know my um, uh, we are blessed that you know um, my husband's um, mom and dad live with us. My mom comes from um, Arizona. That's where she lives with my sister. And so you know we have we have intergenerational in you know mixed race household and so i think um it's a blessing um because they are i i don't know what my kids will identify as i know you know we'll sometimes get the questionnaires and um my six-year-old will be like oh what's that i'm like oh that's like you know like where your parents parents come from or you know so we explain it slowly to him but um i don't know if he identifies as any particular race or ethnic uh, background. I think we both, both my husband and I try to as much as possible um, influence, you know, what we've gotten from our cultures um, and certain things definitely we can, we can, you know, not bring into, into their upbringing. Um, kind of like Marlon was, you know, talking about not talking about things. Like that's one thing I really want to bring into, into raising my children. Like some of y'all all have said, I want to talk about things. I want to talk about drugs. I want to talk about sex. I want like, let's go. Because I think that some, you know, at least in my upbringing, it wasn't like that. Um, and so I want to, I want to introduce that to, to my kids. Can I say something, Jeannie? Um, I was just thinking about based on what Corey and Lorena just shared when Corey was talking about like that the boundaries aren't the same anymore at first I was thinking that I did recognize that between like my kids and myself but it's interesting because I thought it was it was a generational thing in in the sense that you know my parents are immigrants and so but I'm 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 the first generation raised here so second generation Korean American so I thought it was more like that, right? And also the age that that um, that they're at right now. Like I was like, oh, nine is kind of fun because they seem to have more of this like ability to be able to express like their thought process versus before it was simply, I don't know, I just did it, no, yes. And now it's much more complex. And I thought the reason why they might be a little bit more open was because that language gap, the cultural gap, was not as like significant as it was um, between my parents and myself, but it's it's kind of it's it's nice to think of it more as a broader generational shift than that because I was thinking it much more of like microcosm like um, 
but it's pretty neat to just think about as a as a whole generation that there is more of this shift and this openness in in being able to talk to our little ones um, and be like, I don't know what you call it, but I I totally got what you meant by like, oh, we're not your friends, but we're not. It's not this very clear distinction. Like, I want you to be able to talk to me, and I want you. I want to be able to talk to you. Um, and so I th- I think one thing that was interesting is that I'm I I'm really good at apologizing to my kids because I feel like I'm making mistakes all the time with them. And given the intimate and like constant space that we were sharing over the last year, like that was necessary, right? To like mend relationships and just to feel good about the space that the the small space that we were in together. Um, And someone pointed out to me that that's really interesting that you apologize, but I made the mistake, you know? And I think they need to, they need to understand like that. I, I need to be humble and express my humility when it's necessary too, so that they know that when, when they can, they make mistakes, they can come to us and we could be open and we could have a conversation and we could talk about like, what, what were the factors that caused that, you know, it's often what stress, hangry, you know, things like that. And having that space to talk about how it affected me. And then, you know, that I might've reacted in a way that was not necessary and own up to that so that they, they have that as a, a good model, right. To be able to have that space to do it themselves. And I don't think, you know, I like to think that we had those opportunities before. Um, but we, we certainly had a lot of those learning opportunities in the last year. And I think we're, we're just building on that now, right? Like it's definitely shifted my relationship with my kids, um, and the dynamics that we share. And it's been really like interesting to see just how this conversation is helping me to think about it a lot more broadly. Um, so this is, this is just fun and really cool. (laughs) Thank you, June. I love that comment about transparency, meaning they have to see you for who you are and the traditional role of, as an adult, I'm perceived as not making mistakes. I am your perfect role model, uh, doesn't fly. And the thing is that they're so honest about it. They will tell you to your face when they know that you're giving them a line. So, yeah, parenting nowadays, it's this entire shift. Do you find that comforting or do you find that disquieting? It's all, parenting is all, always scary, right? We don't know what we're doing, but at the same time, I, I think it's comforting. Um, like, I, I think it's pretty neat to watch my kids grow up and become these little, I mean, they're always fun to watch at every stage. I remember my friend who had older kids would always tell me like each, each stage is, is cool. Each stage is fun. And I'm like, you know, I see that. Um, I mean, I might, my answer might change a few years later when they're teenagers, but for now, like, it's really neat to just see them evolve. And I'm really excited for um, just the next few years, because I think it's starting around the age that they're now that I, I have very distinct memories of my childhood, but very joyful ones, like of family gatherings, of my friends and having a good time. And, and so, but really there, there were a lot of those times were just like, 
apart from my parents, but with the other people in my life um, who are still a part of it. And so I'm really excited for them to be growing more into that phase of their lives too. Um, and I'm really curious to see like just what cool little people they become um, because it's, it's like we're starting to see it a little bit more. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited to see about what, what as their war, world broadens and opens up um, what that's going to look like. I mean, I'm, so I'm just really excited for that, that next stage. That's a, I think that's a, it's a great expectation to have because each of you have miracles to have children and a blessing. And um, what I'd like to wrap up on this note, because I know we could talk about so much, but uh, let's wrap up on this note. If you could take a moment to think about each of your children, and if there's one word that you could use to describe the quality of your child, and if you have more than one, each one, just that one word per child, because I would love it that we end on the note about the beauty and positivity of who you brought into this world, who you brought in as alpha generation. And I'll go ahead and open that up, whatever you'd like to start. Um, I, I guess I'll start. Um, I think for my six-year-old son, I would, one word to describe him is very empathetic. Um, um, and then for my um, one and a half year old, I would describe her as very fierce. Thank you, Lorena. It's hard to find that single word, right? Yeah, it's hard. And uh, for me, it's like, when I think of my son, I get emotional, you know? Like to me, it's, it's not just one word. It's, you know, he's, he's funny for life. He's, he's curious, you know? I can't imagine my life without him. So it's not one word, but man, I love that little fool. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I love him, man. Um, it's my my son, my boy. So yeah, that's beautiful. June, you got a you got um, some years on yours, so there's a lot of words you can use. <laughs> yeah, when you pose the question. Um, it also made me a little emotional as well. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I would probably use the same word for them, um, which I, I just think that they're, they're both like pretty darn amazing. So. Thank you. And Corey, we'll wrap this with you. You're a little guys. You know, um, I'm big on alliterations and I'm big on, um, harmonious things. So both of our boys' name starts with J. And um, I was thinking of two words that can describe them. So I landed on Bs. So I'll start with the baby because I never want the baby to feel like, oh, he's the oldest. So he always gets, so I always tend to, I flip their names around all the time. I try and throw them off. Um, but the baby, and there are two words that I admire. The baby is bold. Uh, just adventurous, not scary, um, just jump out there bold. And he just has such passion for doing whatever he wants to do. And he's our little baby boss and he's bold. And I love that about him. 
Um, and then our oldest, bright, lights up a room, just the best smile, the most infectious laugh, so curious, so charming. Um, his vocabulary, he just, he told me and his mom the other week, he says, mom, I'm so proud of you. Where did you learn that from? And then you kind of like, oh, you're proud of me? Like, then it's like, do you know what proud means? Like, who taught you that? But I'll take it. So he's just right. Um, and so those are just two things that I, I really admire about both of them. And of course it has to match because the whole harmonious alliteration thing. Oh my God, my heart is bursting with such warmth and joy right now. Thank you. Gosh, thank you so much for the pure honesty and what you gave, the gift of your children, your, your beautiful alpha, your alpha gems. And it's, it's a profound thank you. So in wrapping this up, a profound thank you to Lorena, Corey, June, Marlon, for sharing your thoughts, for your heartfelt experiences about your beautiful children, about being alpha parents, the struggles, the joys, the challenges, and most importantly, that you shared this gift with everyone, other parents who are going to listen and learn. So thank you so much. And we're going to wrap this part up with this video will be available. Um, through ADAP's YouTube under People Need People, ADAP Inc. And our podcast episodes will be available on Parenting of the Alpha Generation, on Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, Spotify, and Apple Music. And that you can find that under Prevention 365. And again, thank you so much. You guys go home and hug your babies. And thank you for sharing your experiences about them. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.